0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Master Intention Podcast, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. Uh, This podcast is presented by UserWise, uh, the LiveOps engine for mobile games. Uh, Today, Tom is speaking to Oliver Jones, who is the co-founder and CEO at Bombay Play. And they're going to have a great discussion. Um, You know, Oliver is a really smart guy. Uh, He's going to talk about a lot of things about uh, sort of running a game studio, running a game, uh, things like his radical ways to develop and launch new game ideas, um, uh, how art can enhance your game, uh, but it cannot make your game a great one on its own. You know, like you know, art and creative is is obviously a great compliment to your game, but that's not what you can rely on for success. Um, how to gather and use player feedback, how to hire talented and like-minded people, uh, some really, really, really awesome stuff. So I encourage you to turn up the volume, sit back, and relax and, uh, um, just enjoy this conversation with Tom and Oliver. Uh, all right. Yeah. I'll hand it over to them. Uh, if you have any feedback or, uh, love some points here, please reach out to us. We can always get in touch with Oliver or, or ask, you know, I can, I can ask Tom, uh, you know, any questions that you guys have. So, uh, enjoy. Hi everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the mastering retention
1: podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to get to talk with one of probably the most prominent entrepreneurs in the uh, Indian gaming uh, landscape. So, you know, this this will be a really fun ex- experience today for me. Um, we have Oliver Jones with us, uh, who was previously the the co-founder of Moonfrog Labs. Um, and most recently is the founder of Bombay play. So we're going to get to talk about all sorts of fun things, making games, starting studios. Um, you know, before we dive into all that stuff though, uh, Oliver, I always like to ask, you know, like, what's your story? Like, how'd you get into games and how'd you get into games in India?
2: Yeah. Um, if my name wasn't a complete giveaway, well, first of all, thanks for the kind introduction there, uh, excited to be here. Um, yeah. In case my name wasn't a complete giveaway, I'm, I'm not from India originally. Uh, although it does appear I'm I'm here and committed for the for the long term, getting married in December to somebody from India in Jaipur. And um oh, Yeah. Uh, but it was quite by chance I did end up here in the first place. Uh, almost almost fresh out of college, got a job offer from Zynga to be a game designer. Mm. Uh, but the, the position was in India, in Bangalore, where I am still today. Um, and you know, perhaps being young and foolish, uh decided to take a, a leap of faith. And, you know, Zynga was a very exciting, still is, to be frank, very exciting yeah. company. So couldn't miss the opportunity. Uh yeah. And really from there, I think um, you know, working with some very talented people in the India ecosystem who've sort of now going on to, I think that that first team at Zynga has, has gone on to be called sort of the Zynga Mafia um, <laughs> and has sort of founded a bunch of companies within India that have gone on to sort of be unicorns and things. So it definitely was an entrepreneurial vibe over there as by hook or crook, we sort of ran live ops on, on very large games, uh, which we were <laughs> woefully underqualified to run. Um, learned very fast and then soon figured out how, how to do it ourselves and went on our way, I suppose.
1: Love it. Um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, so you might actually be like the first like serial entrepreneur I've had on here. So yeah, you know, tell me about, you know, Moonfrog Labs. Like how did that come about? Uh,
2: sure. Um, so Moonfrog Labs had a pretty uh, simple mission statement. Uh, we saw all these games uh, being uh, th- 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 these social games, are sort of being disseminated around the world. And would, but th- we we saw that game developers were not really thinking about the geo, uh, well, geographic relevance of the content they were creating. Mm-hmm. And we thought, hey, you know, India is an up and coming country. Lots of people coming online. Uh, there was a big boom happening at the time uh in terms of sort of uh smartphone adoption uh so we thought we'd we try and ride that wave by you know using best practices that we that we learned at zynga and building you know uh content for for india um so you know we a a group of us in the halls of zynga sort of conspired to build this company and uh, you know months of planning and and then we finally decided to take this leap of faith. Uh, and, uh, our first game, uh, our first game was a flop. So I'll stick I'll skip over that, but you should always expect, uh,
1: well, yeah, everyone's yeah, gotta, have that, it, everyone's gotta have that flop yeah. first. Um, what, what was your flop?
2: Uh, Oh, we made like a, 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 bingo game. Uh, and it was like super late to the market. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, the art wasn't very good; it was very buggy. And for some reason, we decided that we'd also design it for tablets first, <laughs> which uh, I think at the time the you know iPads, India, it nothing was matching. So anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but we we focused. I think after that failure, and we had sort of a, just a few more months of runway really. We decided to really focus on what we thought would work and what was our big bet. So that's when we landed on this. Uh, Indian variant of poker, uh, which was called team Patty. And, uh, you know, we, we pretty much built and launched that, uh, we built and launched that, uh, within sort of three, four weeks. itself. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, and after we launched that, uh, that game, it was a almost like just an instant success. There was, it, it proved this hypothesis that there was this need that was being unmet Um, and we could see it like, I think uh, people, all you had to do really was walk around your local area uh, and just see the physical games people were playing and the strategy became less digify, like digify I guess is the word, everything that we could see around us. And uh, yeah, that was our became our strategy and uh, Team patty grew to like uh, two, uh, I think it was 2.5 million by the time I, uh, I exited Moonfrog, uh, oh. million DAUs. So it really scaled up fast. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's, uh, and that really became the backbone of everything we did afterwards. That was sort of our evergreen title. And we used it as a launch pad for launching all kinds of different experiments. You
1: know, for folks that are maybe like in this phase where they've launched their first game and it was a flop or, uh as uh, many are and maybe they're on their fifth game and it's still looking like a flop and you know runway is starting to get tight and stuff like do you have any you know recommendations or thoughts or you know ways that you kind of approach so you you know had this bingo game didn't really work well and then you kind of got back to where you're at
2: like yeah what advice would you share um I mean, uh, some people will say, and I think this is a broader trend in the industry, is that uh, that engagement comes from depth and you should really, really focus. Um, although I think there are flaws to that thinking when you are start, like, especially when you're starting up. I mean, I think of maybe, you know. Elon Musk and building, building rockets, like most of them will explode. <laughs> but so long as you're learning as much as you can, as fast as you can, uh, you can really get to that point where you've built a prototype or built a an MVP that can reach orbit. So I think um, it's this balance of deciding what is your minimal lovable product and doing that in the shortest time possible and, and testing aggressively. and uh, really getting the data points needed to to reach that that conviction, um, and uh, this is stands somewhat in, like contrary to sort of building the perfect game and getting it out there and iterating on it for years. Like not many people have the runway to do that. It's just not practical. Um, if you're trying to compete with the incumbents in this industry with honest a, on a bootstrap, uh, it, you know uh, y- it, you're in for a rough time. I think it's really um true if you're starting out, it's really about building up those recurring revenues and just stick to sort of first uh, first principles in in that apply to any business. It's a uh, get that small amount of revenue and uh, Make bigger and bigger bets, perhaps as you go along, but uh, you really have to get your product out there to market fast. Um, Bingo failed spectacularly, um, and at Bombay Play. I think our model is <laughs> is now uh, completely. Uh, it, it's also we're launching one game every three to four months, so uh, we've sort of embraced that failure um, and. Uh, I, th- I think if you're not learning, then that's when you tend to hit the ground. Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, I, I think the the last thing I'd say is just have faith in yourself that you'll get it right eventually. I <laughs> 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 think the point where you give up is when you no longer believe that you can learn from your failures.
1: Yeah. Um, for for coming up with team party, you I, I know, it sounds like you guys went really fast. Um, but like did you talk to any like potential users or you know, I, I assume you probably didn't do any sort of uh you know creative testing or any of that kind of stuff that we do now. But um, no, was no. it was it mostly it, just that you got lucky or
2: <laughs> yeah you could say um I think it's in uh, I'm not sure luck is the right word like it's uh recognizing an opportunity and moving on it fast. Uh, we did do user research, um, like I being uh, not of Indian origin, uh, this was this express, like especially important for myself, like how can I uh, understand this audience that we're going after a lot better as an outsider. So I approached it as an outsider, as, as a blank slate. Hmm. And look, assuming I know nothing with no bias, um, how do i how do i go uh well go to ground and uh do all of this sort of first-hand research and, and and try and get a better understanding and um you know ended up flying out to sort of what we call sort of tier two tier three cities in india which are sort of lower income cities uh, uh where sort of the industries are more gray collar um and really surveying and seeing the kind of people who were Playing our games and what did they do for a living? Uh, Even one of the most helpful questions I found in our sort of uh, sort of consumer insights endeavours was just to get an idea of the other forms of entertainment they liked. Um, So if you okay, you play teen patti, then what is your favourite movie? You know, what do you read? What what do you read? Uh, Where do you? And we got some really you know where do you play was actually a, a really insightful question as well because we found that like that the indian users uh tended to play together physically together um r- rather than playing perhaps uh, in in the west we play together but we're also apart um so so we we got this insight that social gaming in india is a, is like um is a multiple of the uh, well, can multiply your k factors several times is what you would expect in the West if uh, as people play in these communal settings. Um, but yeah, that's the story of Moonfrog. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it was great. a great journey with Ludo and some Bollywood IPs and uh, <laughs> we really took it all the way. Um,
1: that's amazing. I love that. Um, and then you did a short stint at Glue, um, and then you went on to found Bombay Play. So, tell me a little bit about you know Bombay Play.
2: Sure, uh, Bombay Play is really a a, a bet that uh, having worked in in India now for you know a decade uh, and seen the sort of talent that's that's around. Uh, it's really a bet that it's possible to build this global gaming studio in India and sort of consolidate the best talent we can find and uh, do uh, well create create games. well it, it, really, what we call it is a, a an innovation factory. So take you know, uh, make these crazy experiments, see what flies and what doesn't. and you know, constantly pivot your company in the direction which is really working for you, and start play and and play more and more to our strengths as we go along. Like we we started again like with this blank slate. Like we don't know, um, we don't know what will work and what uh, what well, what will and will not work. Uh, our first bet was based on our intuition. Our second bet was based a bit more on data, and and then as we proceeded, we ended up with this uh uh this strategy of hyper-social which was really uh, centered on sort of simple games that um, could become the so like a vocal point of a social network um and and that's really where we are today uh we want to become the first and foremost hyper-social studio uh we um are, are trying to stay like like i said before three to four months of development. Um, It's not exactly hyper casual. Uh, Hyper casual is is similar in the sense that you would, um, you know, release lots of things and see what works and see what's marketable. Uh, All of those principles do apply here, like the fast learning aspect of it, except uh, we're trying to build games that are less like, I guess, M&Ms, and are more like pizzas. <laughs> if we're using food analogies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I heard um there was a podcast earlier on hypercasual uh on master mastering retention. And uh, uh I think it was by Christoph, uh yep. the managing director at Sunday, and he called hyper casual games as MMs. So yep. um if you were to imagine them as MMs, <laughs> it's, uh Bombay plays pizza, right? Um and i think uh the the games that you see on native right now like maybe royal match you can call that an ice cream uh that's a it's like a delicious immersive experience <laughs> just for one person though
1: <laughs> yeah so almost like you know your your weekly board game night or something but you Part you know a large part of that board game night is not really playing the board game. It's that you know all your friends kind of come and you get to eat a pizza and hang out and like yeah you play some board games and stuff too. But it's more about the the social context so to speak.
2: Exactly, and the board game like the board games can be very simple in nature. So the first game that Bombay Play released was a, a kind of spin on the popular Uno game. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, we knew this was a popular mechanic. Uh, that hadn't really changed in years so we decided to release a game called card party and uh, it's like you can imagine as Uno's with witches and wizards and uh, tornadoes and um, it, it the same philosophy is you know uh, get people around a table get them playing a card game uh, and uh, you know we saw amazing session times you know like over 30 minutes on the first session um, wow. and yeah, which was it really validated what we were thinking, um, and uh, from the reviews itself, more qualitatively, uh, the, the m- one of the major feedbacks we got, especially during the pandemic, was yeah, this game allows me to play with my kids, allows me to reconnect with people, um, <laughs> and we felt like we were doing like especially during the pandemic, we were doing this social good. We were making games that people could play together. Yeah. Um, And we sort of found our mission there. Uh, And uh, I I think in the board games is another great category for that. Uh, And and now we're moving more towards sort of uh, asynchronous social and uh, PVP social. And I think more recently, the trend has been uh, uh, daily puzzles, sort of uh, what is the communal social event that we can all, or what is the communal puzzle we can all solve together?
1: like a a words with friends or, you know, is this like a, can I beat you at the puzzle? Or is this kind of a a work together on solving the puzzle?
2: Yeah, well, the story is always different. And we're very, (laughs) we try and craft the story uh, depending on the game. But I think um, the PVP, I think is a bit overdone. Uh, The PVP motivator is like, I beat you. Uh, That is quite a generic story and it's quite aggressive. Um, Or the brag. Like I just leveled up, Um, that's great, but who cares, you know? Um, Where the daily puzzle um, really works, uh, like uh, I think the best example here is Wordle. Um, So we all have the same puzzle and I can share my journey in solving that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's actually a very powerful story uh, that for me to share, like, did I struggle? Did I find it easy? Did I fail it completely? um uh, lots of different permutation combination in in that story um but also um it's the secret as well like i can know a secret word that you do not know and uh, everyone wants to be in on uh, nobody wants to be left out of the story of the day so hence it drives more people to the app um so we think this is a very interesting format to experiment with with different game types as well, going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah that's super interesting. Um, it almost reminds me a little bit. I'm trying to remember the company. It was one of those that were. It was picked up either by Stillfront or uh, Embracer Group. I can never keep up with uh, <laughs> all the acquisitions that go on over there. One of those um, guys, yeah. Probably. But uh, they were a. Uh, an Arabic-focused company, um, and they kind of made social games, but it was like, uh, in theory, you could like play poker together or all the other like Arab games that they kind of grew up playing. Um, And I think they had some worldwide ones, like maybe chess and some stuff on there, but it was like kind of real time. You join in together, you can see the person's avatar, and you're just kind of all playing the game. And it was, crazy popular, like, you know, again, millions of daily active users and stuff like that. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to quit when there are other people present.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's it's easy to like quit out. But you know, if you're messing up somebody else's game or something like that, especially if it's someone that you know, or have built up some sort of relationship with. So
2: yeah, I think it's Um, also like why PUBG and you know Green of free fire have done so well as well like quitting from your squad is it's like letting the whole team down you don't want to be that guy
1: yeah i mean that that kept me playing clash of clans and clash royale probably for both of them several years longer than i would have otherwise you know i didn't do that much in them but i still felt obligated to log in and to donate and to support them and to do my guild battles and stuff because well you know they'd supported me so it, it's hard yeah. to let go um, guilt, guilt makes do these
2: things.
1: Yes. So, tell me a little bit about um, you know Bombay Play as a whole. Like, how big are you? How many people? Where Where are you located? Is everyone in India?
2: Uh, we have a team in Vietnam as well. Um, you know, a small team of around three people, mostly on marketing, and uh, everyone else is uh, is in India. Uh, like I said, the, the bet was uh, initially when we set off. It was you know, just to consolidate the best talent we can find in India and build this studio. We're now we're fifty five people and uh, sort of in the core team. And then, um, I mean, one of our philosophies is sort of prioritize uh, makers on the team. So like eighty percent of our staff are you know hands on people making games day in day out. Um, and anything we can outsource, we do anything that can <laughs> be contracted with is contracted, but every single individual in, in the company is like, you know, responsible, accountable, and, uh, you know, has a lot of, uh, sort of, ability to do individual kind of well, autonomy, like they have decision-making ability. So it's like a very high accountability environment we want. Um, which is kind of in contrast to like, uh, that's what a lot of, uh, in India, you, you have a lot of, uh, low accountability roles out there in, in sort of, uh, if you're working in a back office or something. So we're, we're trying to, you know, give power to the makers power to the creative geniuses in, uh, who are sort of perhaps whose talents aren't perhaps being leveraged to the maximum, uh, sort of extent.
1: Yeah. Funnily enough, I was actually talking to a buddy of mine this morning that works at a very big gaming company, um, well known by everyone that is listening that I won't name. Um, but, you know, he was talking about how they've been losing a lot of people lately. And I asked him, like, do you know why? And I think one of the the main reasons he said is they have this very heavy top down structure where. People don't have a say on what is done or why, and they just like don't develop a sense of belonging. And so, when something else comes along and offers them, you know, a higher salary or anything else, they're, yeah, why? Why would I stay here where I, you know, don't really feel like I fit in? Um, so, I love that that kind of ownership and hands-on activity. Um, that's great. Um, do you guys do a lot of live ops with your game? I, you know, I don't know how live ops fits into the, the pizza style game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if your
2: pizza's super popular, I guess you need to maintain it. I guess using that analogy, <laughs> although it doesn't quite match. Um, I'll sell the breadsticks. <laughs> <but> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, you know we've got three games like card party, our dice merge puzzle game. More recently, our daily word puzzle, these are all maintained by, again, pretty small teams. Um, like, we trying we think a lot about you know keep maintaining that simplicity and increasing the engagement and monetization. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but honestly, we're trying to turn the table on uh, on how what proportion of the, a company's resources should be spent on live ops versus building something new. Um, so I, I think, uh, at Moonfrog, I think one of our learnings was, you know, we, we released our Dean Patrick game. It, it was like 80% plus of the staff and it was like the hundred plus people organization, uh, were just dedicated to this one game. And mm-hmm. once that game hit its maximum, then what? Like, <laughs> um, we didn't know how to grow it anymore, but we was, our hands were pretty tied with maintaining it. Yeah. And... So the entire company's kind of fortunes relied on the 20% to come up with something new. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas it it kind of, at least to me, it made sense to flip that on its head and to say, look, 20% into live ops and 80% into looking for the next big thing. Um, So that's kind of how we operate. Like we don't think we're, uh, you know, we're still sort of a a mid-sized company, so there's lots of room to grow. So therefore it makes perfect sense for us to dedicate most of our, most of our staff on looking for that next thing.
1: Yeah, now it sounds like it might be close to the, uh, the supercell's new approach where, you know, I know they acknowledged recently that they had too few people on these you know massively huge games and they weren't <laughs> able to like, keep up with them. And so now that now when they find a hit, they're going to scale up the live ops team a little bit, but still most of their employees are still in small game teams working on trying to find, you know, what is our next, uh, clash of plans or what have you. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, curious, like have you guys ever considered hiring international U S Europe, you know, starting studios elsewhere or, you know, bringing folks in.
2: Yeah. Since we've gone sort of completely hybrid, um, uh, we've sort of well, well, first we've 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 started locally with Vietnam, and uh, I think well, when looking a bit more broadly, we are looking for sort of uh, to to fill some very key roles, uh, like a you know right now we're looking out for a chief operating officer to help us uh, run so many small teams who are yeah. looking for the next big thing, uh, uh, so sort of people in sort of executive producers, designers. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, uh, in fact, even sort of people who are interested from any kind of vertical, to be honest, uh, we'd be looking to hire from all over. Um, uh, we see no reason to limit ourselves to India anymore, even though this is where sort of the, the HQ is and where we'll always yeah. be based, but, uh, <laughs> yep. it, it's arbitrary and we've realized it's arbitrary to be in one country now. So, uh, it, we've really opened up the doors.
1: That's cool. That's cool. Um, Okay. So now I want to ask you just some general questions of like, so you kind of have this hypothesis with Bombay Play, right? Which is uh, we believe that if we create these kind of social engaging games, we're going to be able to, you know, find some hits and stuff. How do you come up with, you know, new game ideas and test them and figure out that, hey, this is something we should, you know, scale up to whatever, um, like what's your process? Cause I, I think a lot of people are in this realm and and it seems like lately it just keeps getting harder and harder to soft launch and successfully <laughs> launch a game. Um, so you know, there's just so many people that are struggling with this right now. So I'm curious, like what's your team's process to being able to come up with a, a new game idea and then actually getting that to, to launch?
2: Yeah, uh, this is where we're pretty radical actually, um, but, like, we we like radical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the process of coming up with an idea will always be a, a murky one. It's uh, you can either take a very analytical approach of uh, you know a matrix approach to analyzing the market and the gaps, and then figuring out this is where this is what a point that we can attack, and we have a team to execute against it. Um, or you can take a more creative approach, wherein you know you're just you brainstorm you genre mash and you come up with a new, like, regardless of where these ideas come from, we're open to any process there. Uh, but then, um, then, then there's this process of validation, uh, which we, in, in which we adopt a rather well-known process called, you know, the brain trust process, and uh, which is uh, it, it just, everyone runs their brain trust a little bit differently from those uh, those that we know. Uh, I think in Supercell, the teams have a brain trust in which they, uh, the, the teams who wish to validate an idea pick the people on their brain trust, you know, uh, these are the people they want to validate and it's kind of an honor to be chosen as part of the brain trust over there. But in a small organization, uh, we're not really, uh, <laughs> like, it, allowing people to pick is is fine, but I don't think we have enough people to pick from. So. Uh, it, our brain trust is really just a collection of the best problem solvers we have and people can really dive into uh it, it really see problems before they emerge before you have data who can really draw on along as kind of history of gaming experience to anticipate what will work and what won't and from that brain trust we try and come to a conviction on yes this is some a project we should be spending time on now so up until that point, you know, this is just—you uh, can summarize that as the the conveyor belt of ideas, I guess—and um, that will constantly be running. Uh, but now, onto your second uh, quest, well, second part of your question, which was, how do you get it soft launched, and how do you do that fast and successfully? And it's true, it's gotten incredibly tough to do so. Um, uh, soft launching in in Canada, I think, was the uh, was the mantra maybe five years ago uh, but now acquiring users over there is so expensive that you know why would you do that um, and also is is I think the question is isn't that a bit of a golden cohort because yeah it, you know are uh, users in Canada necessarily representative of the behaviors of people around the world. So uh, how we have tried to address this is by changing some of our fundamental technology we launch on HTML5 first. Um, so, and we've done this, uh, well, we're building Cocos, so it's pretty easy to like write one line of code and deploy on native and, and web and whatever. But um, so we deploy on web first, we build and launch instant games uh, mm-hmm. because it's much faster getting a game out there than it is on, on native platform and also far, far cheaper to acquire users. Um so it's like, you know, it's sometimes by a factor of 10, cheaper. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, you can target as much as you want to get the get higher quality users. But uh, really, we're trying to build pizzas that are broadly, you know, uh, can be broadly appreciated. So, um, yeah, we will launch our instant game. We'll do, like, we can easily get 100K users uh you know within a week or two and uh, so that's plenty of data to see you know whether what your funnel is like what your retention is looking like Um, and we have we've launched so many h5 games now that we have many internal benchmarks to know what looks good and what doesn't and how does that translate to perhaps a native app so it really, I would say like HTML five is like our king.com. Uh, we, we, we <laughs> launch and test there, And yeah. then uh, if it works, we, yeah, we go cross platform.
1: What, what platforms do you launch like instant games on, you know, in, in today's world,
2: uh, predominantly we're on Facebook instant games. Um, that's where all of our weird and wonderful experiments go.
1: Nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the brain trust—did you guys steal that or or borrow that from from Blizzard, or did you kind of come up with it on your own?
2: Uh, no, it's a—I mean, it's a, a rather well-known methodology. I—I uh, okay. I mean, I first read about it in this book called Creativity Inc. Uh, it was written by uh, Ed, Amy Ed Watson, yeah, and Ed, Edwin Cutmill, and. Uh, you know they go into detail about how you know Pixar uh, mm-hmm. Pixar used it to great effect and how really uh, what an effective brain trust really looks like yeah. uh, and what level of depth you need to go into so um I think this is it makes total sense for a gaming company to to kind of adopt that practice I, I think uh, maybe at Zynga we pivoted too hard into data and, uh, the The problem there was that we really had no idea what uh, when it came to new products, what to launch and what not to. Be, right. uh, because there's really it, just looking at App Annie and Sensor Tower, there's only so much. Like there's only yeah. so much insight. You're just looking at the data of things that are already successful, and oh. uh, you know the data. All the data will always point towards build the thing that's already working.
1: And you don't um, know why it's successful or why it's working. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you can deconstruct it and you can try and mimic it step by step. But honestly, if you mimic a game like that, and you know, I think Zingo is pretty uh well known for fast following, um the best we could ever expect was to get second place. And that's not really where you want to be. Um, I mean in our in the earlier bingo example, I think we were. 20, the 20th game that came out. So like, you end up with position 2021 20, and that's not a profitable place to be. <laughs>
1: um, cool. Do you, so it sounds like maybe Instagram, instant games. I can't speak, uh, is, uh, or you guys kind of do your sort of concept testing. I, I know a lot of games, uh, will you know, you'll run the game to understand like the IPM or the CPI, you know, know. obviously if you <laughs> have something that has a $12 CPI, it probably doesn't matter anything else. You're probably not going to be able to profitably scale that game, at least in, in the mobile sphere. Um, do you guys utilize any of that? Or is it really just those internal benchmarks that you have for the uh, HTML5 games?
2: Um, it's a mixture of both really. Um, we, we know what a good benchmark, like your cost of acquisition on, on instant is very, it looks very different because there's no download. Mm -hmm. Um, so the funnel is far wider and that's really why the, you know, the cost reduction is so huge. Um, also, uh, it's easier to test social, uh, because, you know, if you're already within Facebook's environment, then there's no like login requirement. Um, so that's how it helps us but uh then i think uh yeah so we do run marketing tests on on our instant games and the results of that are pretty important we do run look tests as well uh just you know run the same creative with different artworks just to see whether we should be reskinning or not uh in order to get those lowest i was
1: i was literally just about to ask that too i was like yeah so you know tell me about vetting art like obviously like no matter how beautiful your art is like art cannot make a good game. Um, you know, if you've got a broken or really boring game mechanic, like, yeah, the art might get you to try the game, but then you're just going to churn. Um, and on the flip side, you know, there's some (laughs) pretty gnarly looking games out there that are still very popular with people because they're just (laughs) playing fun. Um, but I, I, I do think art can have a profound, you know, impact on the experience and the desire to try it out and stuff like that. So, yeah, what exactly is that process for going through and and vetting? Like, do we need to reskin this or, yeah, how do you handle that?
2: Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, art, to an extent, doesn't seem to matter beyond a point. Like, um. Especially if you're building instant games, like you're really narrowing down what needs to be validated here. Like if you if you're investing, you're doing something wrong if you're investing like tons of time into uh, art direction um, it, on an instant game. <laughs> uh, download time is pretty important, so really it forces us to uh, to work on the gameplay almost exclusively. Um, I I mean, like you on an insta game, like I I think a lot of uh, download is so important that we're just using 8 bit PNG as like, and and if you're using 8 bit PNG uh, for your artwork, then uh, you know it can't look good, like it can't be that high fidelity, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. so it's all about retention. And sure, like you, uh, some people can argue that. and we have, we've actually done this test on a, one of our games called Card Wars, uh, which is like, uh, I, I'll describe it as uh, it's a battle royale uh, CCG, so sort of six-player arena CCG game. And we tried it with sort of uh, one sort of urban fantasy sort of look and another one, which was pure fantasy, uh, just to see where the retention was different. And honestly, it was like flat out the same, pretty much, once you look at 30 days. Um, like it, it, so after seeing instances like that and knowing how long it takes to reskin a game, uh, it's actually faster in some cases to just try out a new concept and more efficient.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I like it. Um, cool. Uh, final question kind of on this, uh, trend here, um, Do you guys ever go out and try to talk to players, be it focus groups or surveys or a discord channel or or what have you?
2: Yeah. I I mean, again, like we build, because we're testing fast on instant, um, we can build up our like Facebook pages pretty, pretty damn fast. Mm -hmm. Um, just like if you like the game with within Facebook and then just follow our page from there, it's, um. I think like our daily word puzzle has over like 10k community members and we get over 500 posts per day like on that group alone. Uh so it's really easy to sort of go in there and interact for our community team uh, uh to see like how did you like this new feature, you know? Uh, how how many of you guys, you know, uh how many of you guys are, are using, yeah, uh, playing the different difficulty modes or you know is there any improvement so yeah like interacting through facebook is great uh, also being we actually do sometimes our community team they manually go through the profiles of the people who are playing and sort of just look at their publicly available facebook information and sort of build a persona of uh who is the average player for us and how yeah. do we build for them um uh, and we've come up with some interesting insights like uh we um but we found that uh, a, a lot of our players are in complicated relationships uh, <laughs> so <laughs> for some reason uh, maybe that's why they're spending so much time on facebook i'm not sure but yeah. um it, it, we have we we have seen that uh yeah it, it what we do is compile these um these personas present them to the teams and then sort of it, we try and get an idea of of what they're well we look at their interests and then we come up you know we end up more on target in terms of the features we're making um and they kind of have a have a better map of uh sort of well what what these people are expecting or what they want out of playing a game so yeah um as far as flying out and like i think in in a (laughs) Uh, it's actually surprisingly tough to even get somebody on a phone call. Um, <laughs> like like uh, you message your Facebook page messages you and say, Hey, like uh, we see that you like our game. Will you get on a phone call with me? Often we get ghosted. Maybe we just, it's just kind of creepy for a Facebook page to be asking people this. But uh, you got to do that. You got to
1: do the, uh, the in game survey, man. And you say,
2: <laughs> Yeah, the in game survey uh helps but uh yeah it just it, it's like a 50 to 1 we find like reach out <laughs> to 50 people because we're casual we're building these super casual games right so yeah it, i think it's a the community is a bit different mm-hmm. um it's a bit like if that um, um, <laughs> imagine if you completed a, cro- a crossword in a newspaper every day and then suddenly that crossword wants to get on a phone call with you or the <laughs> makers of the crossword did You'd Be like what the hell uh me <laughs> um this is like five minutes of my time uh mm-hmm. versus like core games where i believe like you know well, we've seen the users are more vocal and it's easier mm-hmm. to engage they want to <laughs> talk to the devs because they want to
1: influence you know get that royal yeah. giant nerfed
2: <laughs> exactly or get the spray pattern fixed or whatever <laughs> like uh here here it's a, it like because people are only really casually involved um expecting them to get on a phone call is like, you know, asking, you know, a a casual walker to, you know, run a marathon. It's a a different level.
1: I feel that. Um, Very cool. Um, I want to talk in like the final minutes about... um, just kind of your experience in hiring and the types of people that you, you know, generally look for or find success. Like I've been hearing from a lot of folks and I've been experiencing myself as, you know, we're trying to do some hiring too, of like today's talent market is just crazy. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, I feel like I used to be able to send out some interesting LinkedIn messages and I'd hear back from basically everyone. today's world, I can do the same thing and get like zero responses back. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of curious and, and I do not even do it that much, but I, I know some people that are just drowning, trying to hire people. So I'm curious, like what's, what's your process and what lessons have you learned of, you know, how you find, you know, really strong, capable people to help, you know, grow the company. Cause you, you did mention you look for these people that are you know, kind of entrepreneurial, want to really have a lot of ownership and, you know, impact on the company. So like, how do you find those people and get them on board?
2: It's super, like, yeah, just throwing out a post is too impersonal and <laughs> you really have to, you really have to, uh, I mean, I do it all the time myself and I still do. Um, uh, just, you know, uh, just to see if anyone might so happen to be scrolling past your I don't know your your fun pizza Friday at, at the office post and think, hey, this is a cool place to work. But I think that's a bit, you know, a bit of a leap of faith if you if that's your hiring process. Um, that uh, I think uh, I think founders are very important, especially for the first hundred people in the hiring process, um, and creating personal connections with the people, understanding what their ambitions are and what how they imagine their career paths and you know sometimes you find some people don't know what they want out of life and uh maybe you can show them look uh, working with us this is what the path could be and maybe that matches up with you know something that you imagine for yourself uh, so i think it's uh, you know uh working like i've i've followed students through two years of college and then hide them after the after graduation um i, I followed people through sort of two job changes before they eventually came um mm-hmm. and sort of keeping that conversation going um, i think you just have to be a pro a, a pro recruiter and really good at em- empathizing with people um and have the patience for the long term um, uh, i've been in india now 10 years and some of the best designers on our team, uh, people who I w- was giving game design lectures to five years ago, you know, and <laughs> they, you know, they graduate, well, they they graduated, they changed jobs, and then they found us. Um, so it, I know it sounds like a lot for an entrepreneur who already has so many things to worry about. <laughs> like, I've got to build a you know, this, this damn company and like come up with hit games and run live ops and investor relations and X, Y, Z, but also I need to foster these deep relationships with the people I work with. Yeah. Um, and as you know, establish a very high level of trust. Um, you know, so some people join, uh, join Bombay play, not necessarily because of the games we're making today, but uh, because they they're aligned on what we'll be making you know in the years to come mm-hmm. i
1: yeah. love that yeah. so it's a lot about networking and stuff have you ever like ha- you know been talking to people and they like you know bombay play isn't the right place for you but let me make an intro to you over here and kind of you know push them somewhere else that is ultimately aligned with their career yeah
2: absolutely i think um if you go into a conversation with the spirit of just you know you <laughs> you join Bombay Play, you're dead to me. Uh, that's uh, uh, that, yeah. That I I think uh, people are smart enough to sort of intuit your intentions, and if so, if you go into any conversation with the in intention of helping in any way, the conversation goes, then it usually turns out a lot better.
1: That's cool. So basically if i'm thinking about starting my own studio or making a career change or anything else like that i should just hit you up and have a conversation and kind of grow my network and you know get some advice in the meantime right
2: <laughs> absolutely please do reach out Love it. linkedin uh ollie at bombayplay.com
1: there we go hit me up Oh, man, I can't believe the hour is like pretty much done already. Um, I always do like to ask as the unofficial question, because we are on the Master and Retention podcast, of course, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to keep players, you know, playing games for longer? Like, how do you keep them retained and engaged?
2: Sure. I, I think we, we touched on this a bit, but I'll go into uh, a bit more depth, I guess. And it, it, the, the topic is depth. So uh, I think a lot of game creators do talk, they do think that you know more depth equals more engagement but I think it's the kind of depth that you're trying to make you have to be mindful of I think there's there's game like mechanical depth in in your game, but there's also like the depth of the social interactions that you have they could be social interaction can be surface level I send you a pig, you send me a pig uh, hip hip hooray um, or it could be, you know, the process of sharing a story. Um, you know, this, is, this was my journey. This was perhaps the, uh, <laughs> or maybe I need some help. Uh, maybe I want to signal to my friends that I am, you know, uh, I am a reliable or I am a neat person. So, you know, look at how neatly I've arranged my, I don't know, my bookshelf. Um, it's really about the retention is, you know, it's the, I think depth of social is often overlooked. Uh, the frequency of social is overlooked and how quickly social loops are closed from the moment of install. Um, you know, social is not like a feature you build out later. It should be something integral.
1: That's great. Um,
2: Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I'll leave it there. That sounds great.
1: (laughs) Sounds great. Well, cool. Well, Ollie, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Sounds like you guys are doing some super cool stuff at Bombay play and yeah, you know, it's cool. I don't think we have many people volunteer to, to help on here, but yeah, if you guys are thinking about, you know, making career change or anything else, like definitely hit Ollie up. He seems like an awesome guy. Um, so hopefully we can have you back sometime.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Tom.